Hey everybody, thanks for joining me for this episode of Vetfolio Voice. In this talk, sponsored by Vetri Science, I was joined by Dr. Nicole Sheehan to discuss hacks for improving the quality of life in our more senior patients. Let me tell you, I am super excited to bring you this episode. I love having Dr. Sheehan on the podcast and listening to her perspective from the standpoint of an herbalist and an integrative care provider. She does such an amazing job of taking into consideration the whole animal and introducing simple, safe changes to ultimately improve the quality of life, not only for that pet, but also for the pet owner. I also love listening to her perspective on client communication and ways that we can make sure we're meeting the needs of the pets and the humans on the other side of the leash or carrier. Also, fun fact, in this talk, I learned that in addition to being an herbalist, she also does orthopedic surgery. Absolutely amazing. Color me impressed. Dr. Sheehan is an integrative veterinarian practicing in North Carolina. She owns four integrative practices and leads a team of 11 veterinarians who integrate herbal medicine, acupuncture, chiropractic, ozone, and laser therapy with internal medicine, dermatology, surgery, and dentistry. She's been working with Vetri Science for five years, helping veterinarians complement their traditional general practice with herbal medicine and natural supplements. And I have to say, that makes a lot of sense as far as working with veterinarians to complement their general practice with these integrative techniques. Definitely has been my experience after talking to Dr. Sheehan. I think she's got a lot of great insight in ways that we can offer some really great options to our clients and our patients. Anyway, let's go ahead and get into it so you can hear from her. Well, for this episode, I am once again joined by Dr. Nicole Sheehan, who I always love talking to. I'm so excited to have you back on the podcast, Dr. Sheehan. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Dr. Cassie. It's always a pleasure to be here. And we, every time we talk, I feel like I walk away with just tons of insight into my patient's well-being. So I'm looking forward to bringing that to our listeners once again. And we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, which I'm quickly learning that like I have many favorite subjects in veterinary medicine, oh, but in particular senior pets, I feel like there's so much we can do for these guys to give them a new lease on life. Um, and so I'm looking forward to getting your perspective on that. Yeah. I mean, it's so much a part of what we do, right? So the older they get, the more people are concerned, the more things are happening in their bodies and their minds. And so the more we can do to kind of help them through that last phase of their life, I think it's really beneficial for our clients. You know, their senior years are really to be enjoyed as well. So the more we can do to make that easy for them, I think the better their relationship can be. Absolutely. I love how you put that, that the senior years are there to be enjoyed as well, because I feel like the human animal bond is such a big responsibility, such a big part of what we do, helping to maintain that. And when you can help owners and pets communicate and work together for everybody to have this really good quality of life, there's just so much bonding that can go on during those years. Yeah, a hundred percent. I totally agree. So talking about many of these things that are such a big part of what we do, let's talk nutrition, another, another big part of what we do that can make a really big difference in these senior pets. How do you talk to owners about feeding their senior dogs? Yeah. So what we do is a little bit different. What I have learned and kind of focusing on, on what to talk about today, I was really thinking about 
what we do in integrative medicine. So I started my integrative medicine path, like studying Chinese medicine and things like that and acupuncture and acupuncture made me more sensitive to the body. And then I did herbal medicine and with, and herbs are really food. So then that really got me thinking about nutrition. And one of the things I've really come to learn is that when it comes to nutrition, animals are pretty brilliant at choosing what they want. And we don't listen to them enough so much. We want to read in a book, what we give them. But if you think about how we manage our own bodies, we really listen to what we crave. There's a reason you're craving that, right? You don't think about pregnant women. They are like, oh, I can't get enough milk right now. <laughs> you can look at a book and it's like, sure enough, the baby's bones are growing. Right. And so our bodies, like we're told all the time, kind of how to take care of our bodies. But for our pets, we're kind of taught to like, think it through, right? So do what the books say and either as a veterinarian or as a pet owner, and really they have their own cravings. So the older they get, the more likely they are to kind of crave different foods to keep their bodies in balance. And that's one of the biggest things I've learned practicing this way. So when it comes to nutrition, one of the first things we see as an animal gets older is a lot of times they just don't want kibble anymore, just period. They just don't want it. And then people think something's really wrong. You know, and we as veterinarians kind of think something might be wrong, right? We think, oh God, they don't want to eat their kibble. Well, kibble is highly processed. And so anything that's highly processed, the nutrients become less and less, the more you heat something and dry it and all this, this stuff. And so you have these animals as they're coming into their senior years and they're really looking for more nutrients. And so they'll just turn their nose up. And then what happens is you'll go out well, here, do you want a piece of my turkey sandwich? And they go, yeah, that sounds great. Right. (laughs) And then we think, oh, they're just being spoiled, but really they're telling us what they need. They need something less processed. And it also takes a lot of energy to digest our food. That's something we don't think about a lot, but it takes energy to digest your food, which is why intermittent fasting can be so good for us. And so animals know how to intermittent fast. They know how to do this stuff. And so they're listening to their bodies. They're not just you know, reading about what they should be doing. And so one of the things I've learned is just give them less kibble, do 50, 50, you know, people say, oh, they won't eat their kibble unless I put something on it. Well, they're telling you something, right? Yeah. Listen to them. Or I can't tell you how many times it's like, they don't want their food anymore. And I find as animals age, they want red meats more. So I said, did you try red meat formula, a beef, a pork, venison, bison? No, sure enough. That's what they were craving. You know, it's so simple. Yeah, but it's just like us. Like, and this is a Chinese medicine thing, but if you tend to be anemic in Chinese medicine, that's called blood deficiency. You probably crave steak. So I am nearly a vegan. So I eat a lot of plant-based food, but I will still have a hamburger or a steak because I tend to be blood deficient. And sometimes my body calls for that. And so I don't claim to be vegan because I need to eat whatever it is that my body tells me. I need to eat. And so animals are the same way and they're brilliant. And we think that they're eating to be spoiled, but really they're eating for survival. That's another thing I've learned about them. They really want to survive. You know, they're very much more instinctual about survival. So I encourage people just to listen to them. You know, what, what is it that they're, what's their favorite thing? Some animals will eat vegetables and fruit. That's because there's some kind of nutrients in that food. And then some will say, well, my other dog won't touch it. I'm like, well, don't worry about it. And they'll say, well, I want my other dog to eat broccoli and apples. I'm like, fair, the dog doesn't want that. That's probably not what that animal's body needs to regulate. 
Yeah, it sounds like it's a little bit of like anthropomorphizing by saying like, oh, well, I want my other dog to eat this because, you know, of course, as humans, we do listen to what our body craves, but we also make conscious choices about like what sounds good in the moment and, you know, lack of portion control. And and we have to make conscious decisions to put nutritious things into our bodies, which is different from eating for survival, which some humans are capable of doing. And I'm so impressed by those people because I love food. No kidding. (laughs) But yeah, animals are taking a whole different approach. So it makes a lot of sense to allow them to tell you what their body is asking for. Yeah. And if you think about it, when you're going through the grocery store and you're shopping for yourself, you might just think, God, I cannot get enough tomatoes. I've been eating the heck out of tomatoes or your children or whatever it is who you're feeding. Well, our animals don't get to do that. We don't give them any opportunities. We pick a food for them at the pet store. We bring it home and then this is their only food, right? And so sometimes just having options, but be thinking in terms of minimally processed foods. That might be what they're craving. Thinking about different proteins. So maybe they don't want poultry anymore. Maybe their body's calling for something that's got some omegas in it, right? Think about a fish or think about like a red meat. And sometimes it's literally that easy. So I think when they turn their nose up, don't get afraid that they're dying. Just think, huh, okay, what, let me try a couple things and let's see what your body's calling for. And it's, it's really that simple. And you go, oh, and then sometimes let's say this, you may even have a kibble and you say, well, I can't do anything besides kibble. Like my lifestyle does not call for that. Maybe just same brand, same kibble, different formula. Sure. Yeah. Different protein. So simple. Do a fish instead of a chicken. And sometimes it's just that. And it's like, it, it can really be that simple. Yeah. I actually, I had this experience just this morning where it's a senior dog who were managing multiple comorbidities. And one of the things we were seeing is she, she was kind of off her kibble, had eaten the same kibble forever as a prescription diet. And I asked today, I said, you know, how's the eating going? Cause the other dog was getting a little chunky and I said, you know, how's this going? Are we eating, you know, each other's food here? And the owner said, no, I switched to, I can't remember exactly the formulation it was, but it was a refrigerated, even taking away that processing of the kibble type of diet. And she said, she's just going to town on it. And I heard you in the back of my head going, let her listen to her body and tell you what she needs. Yeah. And instead of stressing, so we always want to have the negative of like, oh, she won't eat this anymore. It's like, oh, I found the thing that her body was really calling for. How beautiful is that relationship, right? And so I'll give you another great example. I had last week, this patient I've taken care of for a really long time. She's always been a picky eater. And what I tell people is when they have really picky eaters from the get-go, it's a blessing because that animal need something out of the ordinary and they're willing to tell you no to the thing that's not going to make them feel better. So when you have an animal as picky, take it as a sign of, okay, well, they're trying to tell me what they need. I just have to keep working through my options until I hit the thing. And so what's amazing about this dog, she has almost no teeth left in her head. She's now an old lady and she wasn't eating very well. And it turns out her back actually hurt. So we treated her back and then she felt better. But she wants to eat. Her friend came over with her dog and had kibble. This dog has never had kibble in his whole life. And now she wants to eat kibble. She's like 13 or 14. She wants to eat kibble. And I said, let her eat kibble. And to the owner, the owner's like, I don't want to give her processed food. I'm like, she's being very clear with us what she wants. So don't have it in your head that the processed food is worse. Listen to her. She's always told us exactly what she needed. (laughs) Let her eat the kibble. There's something in there that she feels she needs. So just don't pass judgment on it. Sure. Sure. Let her Which, be. You know, ultimately can result in less stress 
to owners. It can be more when they get really, really picky, but you know, if it's one of those where, well, I'm not going to stress about, I don't feel like you're eating the right thing. I'm going to listen to what you're asking for and, and give you what you need, then it's a whole different perspective. Yeah. It's, I, I think it's more fun. It's just, it's a less yeah. stressful perspective to enjoy kind of the process of working through foods rather than, oh my gosh, what am I going to give you, you know, or this is going to hurt you or, you know, just let them be, let them, let them choose. Absolutely. So what about senior cats? Do your recommendations change at all with senior cats? Well, for us, you know, we've kind of followed in the last 10 years, the belief that cats do better on canned food or minimally processed food anyway. So a lot of our patients, we kind of encourage to to minimize, or if they're up for it, not doing any kibble. Cats are kind of funny in that as they get really geriatric, they'll get very cold natured. And so this is a Chinese medicine principle, but they get really cold. <laughs> and so as they age, you'll see, they'll always be looking for the warm blanket. They'll always be looking for the sunny spot. My cat who's 18, she lives on a heating blanket. And so that's her spot. Aww. And so they'll actually crave foods that actually bring some warmth into the body. And so it's kind of a funny concept, but it's very known to us in Chinese medicine. And the way I think about it for, for us as people to, to kind of wrap our brains around is that, you know, if you've been out in the sun and you're really hot, you don't want roast beef. You don't want chicken noodle soup, right? You want watermelon or lemonade or fish or salad. All those foods kind of bring cool into our bodies. And so foods, foods impact our bodies in all these ways we don't really think about, but we talk about chicken noodle soup when you're cold, right? So chicken has warming properties to your body. And so if your cat has been eating fish all of its life, cold protein, it may want warmer proteins like chicken or lamb, sometimes venison and things like that. So it's just kind of a funny thing. So their bodies will shift and they'll let you know, cause they're being picky, but think about the processing of the food. Think about the proteins that you're doing and just change things up a little bit. Absolutely. Cats are interesting to feed in general. They have all these strange idiosyncrasies that the more I learn about it, I have to agree with you, the more fun it becomes because as, as we start to understand more about what the, about feline behavior and feline diet and the way that their normal feeding behaviors and things like that, it just becomes really fun to figure out what's going to work for that individual animal. And I feel, I find that to be especially true when it comes to cats. I mean, bless you for calling it fun because <laughs> it is cats keep us on our toes all the time. Oh yeah. You know, dogs for the most part, unless they really need something, you're like, here, eat this. They're like, okay. Cats are like, no, that wasn't my idea. I don't want that. Oh, it's so true. It's yeah. so true. Like, I, I feel like I saw a meme one time that was like, my owner bought a whole case of my favorite food. So now I hate it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In my house with my cats, I have like 13 formulas, you know, nice. and then like every day I grab a different, well, she's 18. So she's yeah. going through this, this stage of her life where she is being very particular about what she wants on any given day, but she's managing to keep herself alive at 18, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I listen to it. Very cool. Very cool. Is that something that we see with dogs as well? Do they also get cold as they get older? They can when they're again, like in an advanced geriatric state. But what I see more commonly in dogs is that they're very hot natured. And so I live in North Carolina, so we have a hot climate. So we're going to see that anyway, because our weather is kind of putting that heat upon us. But what you'll find more commonly in dogs is as they enter 
I always say 11, like right around 11. And it's amazing how many times you will see this right at 11, but you know, 10 to 13 where they become really hot natured. And it's kind of a, a really stressful time because it is as our dogs are kind of getting into an age where we are worrying about what's the life expectancy of a dog again. And, you know, things like that. Um, they will sometimes show this heat. And so, and usually we see it by panting, right? And so what do we learn as veterinarians panting in an older animal? Are they in pain? Yeah. They're right. They're either painful or I'll start asking about like Cushing's disease. Yeah, that's it. That's all we have. (laughs) Right. Those are our two things. And what you'll find, and then you'll go down this thing of like, you know, you do a really good physical exam. Like there's no pain anywhere, you know? And then you think, okay, it's gotta be Cushing's, but the Alkafoss is totally normal and there's no PUPD and there's, you know, and you're thinking this can't be right. And so, okay, well, I guess I'll run a ACTH stem. It's normal. Now, what do you do? okay, should we run a low dose dex? You know, you go through right. these things, right? <laughs> and then you're like, okay, maybe this is one. Those were both normal and the elk foss is normal and you're not PUPD, but maybe you're one of those weird ones. Maybe I'll do a Tennessee adrenal panel on you. Like, oh my you know? gosh, get out of my head. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's what we're taught, right? But there are these other things and in, in, in practicing Chinese medicine, some of these integrative medicine things have made perfect sense of all this that I never learned, but there's this whole thing that happens called yin deficiency. And we see it. I see it primarily more in dogs than cats. I think cats kind of breeze through this yin deficiency and become young deficient or they get cold natured, but dogs are really hot natured. Um, here's another thing. Kibble is, is, is heated really high. So it carries this energy of being really hot. And so it kind of dry and it's dry, it's hot and dry. Right. So our dogs become hot and dry over time. And so it's called yin deficiency in Chinese medicine. And we see it all the time. And then once you kind of know that this is just part of life, you don't stress about it so much. You go, this doesn't make sense. This dog does not have Cushing's, you Mm -hmm. know, there's no pain anywhere. Like it's just hot. So a couple of things that we do here. One is we just acknowledge it. We go, we don't need to stress about this. This is normal. The way I talk about it with my clients, and I know this sounds so crazy. And I bring up all these human things, not because I think animals are human, but because we can think about them as humans and, and it gives us different perspective for our pets. But almost everyone knows someone who's gone through menopause. Well, menopause for women, humans is the indeficiency. So what happens is you lose your cooling. So you feel like you're heating up from the inside. And so, and what I always say to people is, oh, they're really hot natured about their dog. And they'll say, well, I keep the house really cool. Cause me, myself, you know, I'm perimenopausal and I'm, you know, going through this and then I say, yeah, do you ever carry like a fan around? Like one of those personal fans? Yes. I take one to work with me. And I'm like, that's <laughs> what your dog needs. Because it doesn't matter how cool the house is. It doesn't even matter if there's a ceiling fan running, they need it in their face. And so one of my best tools that I actually did on my own dog, when he was about 13, when this happened, or one of my older dogs, I just put a box fan down. So I tell people, just try it. It's a $20 investment. Get one of the old school fans, put it on the floor. And you will often find that they will sleep like a baby in front of it. Here's another thing. Yin deficiency is worse at night. So you get these dogs that pant all night. Okay. No one's getting any sleep. Right. You know, the dog's not sleeping. Owner's not sleeping. They're worried about their pet all night. Put a fan on the floor out like a light. Love that. And so it works like, I don't know, eight times out of 10. Wow. So $20 fix, $20 fix. It's way cheaper than an ACTH stim. 
Yeah. Yes. Right. It is followed way less by followed by stressful. the low dose decks and the adrenal yeah. panels and all the other testing. Yeah. So it's just so simple. Just try it. You know. And it's like, yeah, might it might not help, but it's certainly not going to hurt anything. It's not a huge investment. You know. And then people yeah. are like, oh, they're not suffering. They're just hot. Yeah. yeah they're just they're hot. Just hot. It's really not that big of a deal, right? So then we talk. We go back. Circle back around to the kibble. Kibble is warming drying. And so if they're already in this time of their age where they're feeling warm and dry, then the kibble is just contributing to that. So minimally processed food is actually cooler in nature. So sometimes they're just looking for a food that's not going to heat them up. So again, think about being hot all day and out on the lake all day and then eating a hot food. Sometimes that's why they don't want their kibble. They're like, yeah, I know that's going to warm me up. I'm already hot. So sometimes they're just looking for something that feels better when they eat it. So it's a really interesting thing. It's a lot of communicating with your animal and figuring out what they need. And also really nurturing that human animal bond, especially when you get good success and people feel like, oh, look, you know, we did something and it, and it helped. And like you said, they're not suffering. They're feeling better. It just so many cool parts of this type of conversation that, you know, simple fixes for our pets. Yeah. Let me tell you another one too, is like, we all get frustrated with clients that go online, they're Googling things, but this is our nature. Our nature is to be stressed about something and try to get an answer. And in this age of being able to get answers really easy, sometimes you're not always getting the right answer. Right. But what it does in my, from my perspective they want to be healers too, right? They're caretakers. So as a caretaker, we all want to be part of the healing process. And so for me, what it does is it allows them to be also part of the healing process. They get to be the hero, like, Oh, I did this thing and it worked, you know, (laughs) and people love that. So they love being part of their animals healing. So it, it gives them some, you know, security and, and feeling good about, you know, people also want to be in control of things. It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm in control of my animal's destiny by doing this and that. So I think that's a cool thing to kind of give to our clients. Um, And this goes for herbs too. So I'm an herbalist. So, you know, people research their own stuff online. They come up with, even though I'm an herbalist and they're coming to see me and I have 350 herbal remedies on my shelf, like (laughs) they'll still Google it. Like, you know, it's just, it blows my mind. They want to be a part of it. And so, you know, sometimes I'll say, well, try it. The ingredients look good. I don't know this brand. So I have certain brands I trust and a lot of brands I don't know anything about, you know, so well, they look pretty good, but, um, did you try your animal with it? I just let them try. If they don't want it, then don't rationalize in your brain that they should get this thing. If their body says Mm-mm, they're not interested in it, then, then I don't do it. But there are some herbs that help with this. And so you kind of have to know Chinese medicine to do it, but there are some things, you know, start with food. And then there's also some herbal remedies that you can do. One of the things I like is there's a renal essentials by Vetra science that has some Romani in it. Romani helps with these things. And so just try it. You know, it's not a very expensive thing to try. A lot of people can get their hands on Vetra science products very easily through their supplier. And so there's, there's things to try, you know, try some things and see if the animal likes it. If they like it, you've probably hit, hit on the right choice. So it's, it's also an interesting thing to listen to the animals, even when it comes to supplements and things. Yeah. And I think it's a move that I have heard in a lot of different aspects of veterinary medicine of listen to your patient, listen to your pet. I I did the anesthesia Institute course back earlier this year 
And, you know, that was the biggest thing. It was like, well, how do I know if I give atropine? And they're like, well, if you give it and all the numbers get better, then that was clearly the right thing to do. Listen to your patient. And, you know, I'm hearing it with diabetes, with Cushing's that stop trying to chase these numerical goals and, you know, and just listen to your patient. Did your patient do well when you did it? Well, then it was probably the right thing to do. And I love that trend that, you know, maybe has been there all along, but just that reminder to listen to our pets, listen to our patients and let them tell us how they're reacting to things rather than trying to break it down to a numerical value or a molecular reaction or whatever it may be. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Treat the, treat the body, not the number, you know, and I think that's, what's so special about veterinarians is we're really, again, we don't have a patient who can tell us, right? So we've got to, we've got to listen to things. We've got to do really good physical exams, you know, instead of just looking at numbers all the time or just data, you know, how do they feel? How are they doing? And and you're exactly right. It's all in that same concept. It's just a matter of like, you know, and also not putting so much pressure on yourself as the doctor, like I have to get this right, you know, do no harm. So some of these things I'm talking about, you can do no harm by putting a fan on the floor. You can do no harm by offering a red meat, you know? And so it's kind of like, do no harm and then listen to your patient. And I, and I, I think you, it does make us better as veterinarians, I believe. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of these other comorbidities we see as our pets get older you know, in addition to the panting, which I will agree with you, I see oftentimes in my older patients, mobility is another one. So what are, tell us about some of the conversations that you have with clients about keeping their pets up and moving as they get older. Yeah. So I would say the, the most common thing I hear from people is, oh, their hips are bad. You know, everyone thinks they're hips. So if they're struggling yeah. at all, it's like, oh, it's their hips. Well, I don't know about you. I don't see hip dysplasia that much anymore. No, um, I, I feel like in these older guys, I see like knees and back a lot, knees and back. It's, it's usually the knees and the back. Maybe, um, sometimes even you'll have soft tissue, um, where the connective tissue is starting to be, you know, it's muscular actually, you know, yeah. instead of like, we think of like a pulled muscle or a soft tissue injury, but they can have just general, just tightness of their tissue. And so, yeah, I think most of the time, obviously they're acutely lame in a rear leg and they're not putting weight on it. You think ACL, right. But where you can't quite put your finger on it. A lot of times those animals are experiencing back pain. And so obviously first line of defense for any of these animals that, that are having any kind of mobility issues, I always go to joint supplements first, right. And some of our joint supplements now are tremendous. So when I went to school almost 20 years ago, it was like, you know, glucosamine and chondroitin. Well, it's night and day different now. We've got some really amazing supplements. So the one we use here would be the Vetroflex Pro. And so what I like about that is it's got all these anti-inflammatories in it. So it's an incredible list of antioxidants and anti-inflammatories in with that glucosamine and chondroitin. So not only are you building up this cartilage, getting your joint fluid better, but you actually introducing anti-inflammatories in a natural way into the body before you've even gone to a pharmaceutical. And so just doing that, if you have a really souped up joint support like that, you can impact these animals so greatly in such an easy way. You're giving a treat, you know, like how much easier does it get? So, and even starting some of these animals out, you know, some of these dogs that are more prone to it, you know, start them early, start them seven years old. You know, if you're starting senior blood work, start 
senior joint support, you know, get it going, get that body in a low inflammation state right off the bat. And so if, if I have an animal that's already on all of that and they're still struggling, I'm going to do a full physical exam and a, a full orthopedic exam, but most of the time they've hurt their back. And that's sort of my impression. And so then it's kind of like, well, now what do you do? Well, when you, it depends on what you have available to you. And so obviously you can do pain medicine and, and things like that, whether it be an NSAID or gabapentin, or, you know, these days we're all trying to get away from tramadol and some of the opioids that are, are abused and use some of our other options, but a lot of times it's, it's right in the back. And so, yes, you can use pain medication, but you're really not making the spine any better. And so what we're always thinking about is, okay, well, they hurt their back once. Okay. But chances are, unless you do something to make that spine better, you're going to have the same incident over and over again. And this is where in our clinic, we reach for acupuncture or chiropractic spinal adjustments, that kind of thing, and try to make sure that spine is in as healthy of a spot as possible to prevent. So we might do pain management during that time, of course, make them feel better, but how are we going to prevent this from happening in the future? And so that's when we reach for some of our other treatments for the spine, but then we have a product that we use for it. So our clients are so into prevention. It's like, ah, oh, I don't want to do this again. This, this was an awful weekend. Like, how do I prevent this? Or you have those dogs that have had back surgery. How do I prevent this in the future? We use VetroDisc for that prevention, you know? So if you have an animal that's prone to it, what it does is it, it makes the ligaments healthier, the ligaments that hold our disc in place. And so if you can do that and kind of hold those discs where they're supposed to, then you have less of a, of a problem with IVDD. And so be thinking in terms of prevention, but almost always they're missing a back pain. And, and I can't tell you how many second opinions I see come from other clinics that they're lame and they're told they need ACL surgery. This happens a lot. So, and then they come in and I'm like, but their pain is not in their stifle at all. They have no pain in their stifle. So they might have a partial tear that you can see on x-ray, but there's no pain in their stifle, but you touch their back and they literally about hit the floor. So I, I will say like, I worked with another doctor who she, she has since moved to another state and she practiced acupuncture and I was so impressed with her her orthopedic exams, her musculoskeletal exams, and just how sensitive, like you said, kind of making you a little more in tune with the body. I was like, this is incredible because, and it, it was repeatable. She could show it to me who's not trained and I could see exactly what she was seeing. And she said, you know, here's the pain, here's where the tension lines are. And it was really impressive. Yeah. I would say like, the best thing about learning acupuncture for my practice has been that it makes me better at orthopedic exams. 100%. I can only imagine after seeing her techniques and abilities and everything, I was just, I was blown away. And you don't have to, I guess the reminder is for people who aren't going down that path is just to be more sensitive, you know, just be pay, pay attention. You don't have to really push. You push just a little bit along the spine. You're going to see them flinch and they really shouldn't flinch. Mm -hmm. at all. And so, and, and so that's probably what you're talking about. So it just, it's, it's having a greater awareness, you know, of, of what you're treating. So what the animal's responding to reacting to, we can again, read in a book, oh, they're, they're lame on the right hind. It must be an ACL, right. And they have some evidence of that on their x-ray. But at the same time, there's no pain in that joint, but you touch their spine or I've seen sometimes that iliopsoas muscle, 
you know, sure. the lower part of the back and that muscle right there is pulled. And so they have intense pain there and they have nothing in their stifle. I'm not going to take them surgery. Right. I'm going to try to treat that muscle first. So I think it's just trying to be just aware, you know, what's the body again, we're going back all the way to the beginning of this discussion. Like what's the body telling me right now? What are they, what are they reacting to and kind of going after that? And then just remind, reminding yourself, like if you have a good joint supplement, that has got anti-inflammatories, you're impacting the whole body. But if you only have glucosamine conjoint, you're really only getting into the joints. Sure. So if they don't feel any better, it's because probably the problem, main problem is not coming from the joint. You know, you need something broader. Or, you know, if it is coming from the joint, just affecting those joints is maybe not enough and you need some additional anti-inflammatory properties. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and then sometimes you need surgery, right? I mean, sure. so we still do surgery. So people always think, oh, integrative doctor, or they call me holistic or whatever. I do knee surgeries here. So I'm the one who does her knee surgery. So I was going to say, you said, I'm not going to take them to surgery. I'm like, does she practice integrative med and do knee surgery? This yeah. is so impressive. Yeah. Because our thing is we're looking for a good result. We're not yeah. looking to avoid medicine or surgery. We're looking for a good result. Oh no. I just mean that you personally doing knee surgeries. Yeah. Like I'm highly impressed. Yeah. People are, they think I'm running tinctures and like having, <laughs> you know, prayer and stuff in here, but no, we, you know, we do. Yeah. And I do them here. So the point is like to do what the body needs, but you first, you got to listen to the body. Mm-hmm. What is it actually calling for? And, and, and that's really how you get a good result is what, what, what part of the body am I actually treating here? Because what a disappointment to take a dog to surgery. And then they're still lame. Sure. Afterwards. And I, one of the biggest questions I get from veterinarians is when do I send somebody? Cause before I did acupuncture, people would ask me about it. I'm like, yeah, you can go get it. But I didn't know when should I be sending someone for acupuncture or chiropractic or PT, you know, physical therapy, rehab, whatever. I guess the question is if your client is like, are you sure they need surgery? You say, well, you can go see this other person. They have some other things they do like physical therapy or, and give you some perspective, someone who's used to looking at the other tissue. Right. And so you can think of it like that. You can go see a surgeon, see what the surgeon says. You can go see this other person who does acupuncture or does some alternatives for other parts of the body and see what, what resonates Sure. Know? or sure. try some things first opinion. before you do surgery. That's okay too. You know? So I think that's maybe something to think about. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And we've talked a lot about body aging at this point. Let's transition here and talk about brain aging. Cause I just feel like this is something that we see more and more. And maybe that's just my perception. My take on it is that we see it more and more because we're doing a good job and our animals are living for a long time, but then we start to see this cognitive decline and it's oh, so sad. It breaks my heart. I went through it with my own dog. How do you approach treating and, and preventing cognitive decline? Yeah. So I think you're right. And like the thing I always try to make my client the hero and say, well, you've got your animal to live long enough. They're outliving their brain. (laughs) (laughs) It makes it feel a little bit good, you know, but you're right. Like we can get these animals to live longer lives, but there's also this whole thing about, about brain aging is that our world, we're running across more chemicals, more electricity, more things that actually hurt our brain and our brains are not really good at healing. What happens is because there's a blood brain barrier there, not all of our cells can pass through that and heal our brain tissue at the rapid rate in which we 
see oxidative stress. So what oxidative stress is things that we come across in our environment, pollution, bad water, chemicals, things like that, that actually change our cells. Well, we have to go in and actually repair that. And so we're not doing it as quickly with our natural God-given parts of our body compared to what we're coming across. So this is where antioxidants come into play. And so antioxidants can and often do make a huge difference when it comes to brain changes. And this is something we kind of just sort of accept, right? So there, you know, people will call it doggy dementia or, you know, you think my dog has Alzheimer's like, well, you know, but that's how they think. And so there's some brain changes there, but you'll be surprised how many times, if you do a high level antioxidant, how many of these animals will get better. And so the antioxidants go in, there's oxidative stress. You take orally these antioxidants, they actually pass through the blood brain barrier, get into the brain. They start cleaning up that tissue and you'll actually see pretty rapidly. If you get the formula, right, there's a couple different choices. So one of the big ones we use here would be Vetrosciences senior vitality pro. So there's one for cats and one for dogs, and it's got high levels of antioxidants. Some of their joint supports, again, they're really big on antioxidants. So they put antioxidants in a lot of their formulas, including their joint formulas, but you can actually see these changes really rapidly, like within a week. Yeah. I would, I saw that with my own dog changing the diet to an antioxidant based diet. And uh, yeah, I noticed a a really rapid difference. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. You know, and so is it perfect? No, but you're going to get somewhere with it. And if you get it right pretty quickly, what a great thing to not be stressed about as your animal's aging. Absolutely. Absolutely. And do you start dogs on this or, or cats on this preventatively or mainly just when there starts to be that question of this doggy dementia, quote unquote, or I feel like it's almost like a sundowners, you know, they get, they get anxious when the sun goes down. Sure. Do you start them before you see those symptoms or generally just when they start to develop? It depends on the client. I think this goes for joint support. I think this goes for antioxidants, all of these things. If someone's starting to worry about it, start them. If they want to prevent it, then absolutely. Now, if I see the symptom or we're talking about the symptom, then I'll say, you know, there's this thing I think that can really help them. Let's try it. But sometimes they're just like, my last dog, you know, had yeah. this and it really stressed me out. I really want to great start them early. Antioxidants are good for heart. They're good for joints. They're good for everything. So you really can't go wrong with this. So if a, if a client is motivated to start early, hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I would be that person with the, you know, my last dog had this and it was terrible. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Do? And a lot of our clients, and this goes to like, you know, kind of a final point is, you know, our clients are worried. And so when you yourself as a veterinarian have had older patients, you start to see like, oh my gosh, this is how my client feels. Well, you're a vet and you're still stressed about it, right? So they don't know how to make sense of all of this. They need our help. And we worry so much about like, I think their finances or maybe this won't work, but we don't offer enough. You know, say, hey, there's this thing. All you can do is try it and see, right? It's not a big investment. It's a do no harm. You know, most of these formulas are really well tolerated. So it's like, just try it. Yeah. If it works great. If it doesn't, we'll try a different one. Let's try a couple things until we find something that they feel really good about. And so I think we, we don't do that. And, And one of the things that I've gotten better about is I've gotten more confident. I think in my practice is, you know, your animal has a couple of things we've been tracking. We should probably see them before a year. Yeah. And these senior dogs, absolutely. I've seen the benefit of those, you know, seen them multiple times a year and and multiple exams. Yeah. And I I think it's like, again, like shifting our mindset as veterinarians to be offering it rather than 
Like you're not telling them they have to come see you in six months. Sometimes people go, well, you know, six months still feels like a long time. And I'll say, you know what? I'm going to put on your reminders. I'm going to change your reminder instead of a year. I'm just going to let you know when three months is up and you can choose. You'll get a reminder from me. It's been three months. And if you're just feeling like, let me help you. Let me walk you through this. Come, let's just do a checkup. A checkup in my office is $69. For $69, a lot of my clients are like, oh, I just feel so much better. Sure. They still look good to you. So, okay, good. Like (laughs) a lot of people think that's $69 well spent. Well, and things change so rapidly when they get older. And that's how I sometimes will explain it to people is, especially if I get the blood work pushed back where it's like, well, I just did blood work a year ago. And, you know, of course I understand that finances come into play here. And if it's just not feasible, then that's okay. But if it's not, you know, a hardship in that way, and it's just, well, I just did it a year ago and it's a mental block to it. The talk that I tend to have with them is, it's one year to you. It's one year to me, but it's way more than that to your dog. And things change really fast as they get older. I mean, I've seen this, unfortunately, in a couple of my patients very recently where we went from totally normal blood work to everything wonky within a couple of months. And it's really sad. So if you can get ahead of those things, then one year to us is not one year to them. Yeah. I think the other thing we forget is that often they don't want to know. They want to live in um, ignorant bliss. I didn't we think forget about this. That. They do. They're like, oh, yeah. but I'm afraid you're going to see something that and tell me this happens all the time. People say, I'm afraid you're going to see something and tell me I have to put my dog down. And oh, you're no. like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? No, we have about? way more options. <laughs> yeah, no, but they don't know this. Sure. They go, no, no, no. We're trying to catch things early so we can do something about them. And then they're like, oh. Yeah. Cause it's those one that, ones that we wait and then they're sick and then we run the blood work and it turns out, you know, they've had kidney disease for years and yeah. we didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. And now you have intense hospitalization, expensive things, like maybe you can't reverse it. You know, there's just, and they, they forget that or they don't know it. So then they're, they are more afraid of getting bad news. And it's like, no, we want to, we want to know what's going on so we can do something about it. And it's like, Absolutely. oh, okay. When you put it that way, that feels good. And trending, gosh, those stage one kidney cats, those are like gosh. trending. Those is so satisfying because you're, yes. you know, you see those changes early and you can make little subtle tweaks and watch yes. them just go and go and go for years. It's so rewarding. Yeah. And don't skimp on it. Because I think, again, it's like goes back to the world was like, oh, well, we'll just do a mini panel for you, you know, but it's like, what about the thyroid? It affects so much. And you see so much of that go downhill as they age. What about blood pressure? So we've gotten really good at our clinic and doing blood pressure the last couple of years because we missed a few. No, that we didn't get a high blood pressure. And then they showed up with a symptom, you know, later on that was much more detrimental than had we caught it. So we're like, no, we're not doing that anymore. Everybody gets blood pressures when they're seniors, everybody. So, and how do you find that works in your clinic? Like, are, are, do you feel like you have a pretty good baseline as far as what a normal blood pressure is in the clinic? Or do you find a lot of hypertensive animals that like, maybe they're just anxious? So what we do is we have like a screening machine that's faster because otherwise it takes so much time. So we have Dopplers for the animals that we know have hypertension or getting rechecked or having a symptom of hypertension, you know, maybe collapse or things that might be more cardiovascular, but then we have these little screening machines and there, we find they're pretty good. Most of the time, they're not perfect, but we're going to probably catch a lot more disease than we're going to misdiagnose, I believe. And you're, if you're doing it every time you kind of find out what's normal for that animal. Exactly. 
Yeah. So, but it just a full, you know, they always tell us minimum database, minimum database. Sure. Don't forget your UA. Don't forget your T4. Don't forget, you know, don't forget triglycerides. You see yeah. high triglycerides in a lot of pets. That means they're not getting enough fatty acids. You can actually bring triglycerides down with fatty acids alone. It's pretty- what? But yeah, I see triglycerides all the time. I'm usually like, fatty oh, acids. maybe they weren't fast. No, fatty them. acids. So when they're really high, you can cut the fat out of their diet. It won't do anything. They need fatty acids to pull the fats out of their blood into the tissue. And so that's something to think about. But there's all these little things, but that's part of our minimum database. Like, don't forget it. And some people, they even want their blood tested every six months. Great. Yeah. I'll test your dog's blood every six months. They have these cool tests out now where you can look for cancer markers, you know? So we do that. Sometimes I'll do a main blood test on their annual. And then in six months, I'll do a checkup and a cancer marker test. It's cool stuff that's available to us now. It's so cool. Dr. Sheehan, I'm looking forward to our next like te- what, 10, 20, 50 episodes. So yeah. we can keep talking about <laughs> All of this stuff, because it's so interesting and it's just a different way of practicing medicine. It's, you know, I, whenever I talk to you about all this stuff, I feel like we're really taking a preventative approach and, and that's what we're there to do, right? We're there to practice preventative medicine and, and stop things from getting bad as much as we can rather than, you know, reactive medicine, which is, is, you know, we're there to do that too, but it's a lot harder and it can be a lot more heartbreaking. Um, so I love every time we talk, I just glean so much from it in ways that I can help my patients that I never even thought of before. So I hope our listeners get so much out of, get as much out of this as I do. I do too. It's, it's, it's definitely a different way of thinking, but as a practitioner in an industry that we know can be really hard, I think it's just a funner way to go about it. Yeah. I don't know. It's just more fun. What, you know, we need more fun the teamwork, like the, the teamwork that's formed. And that's one of my favorite parts of veterinary medicine in general. Like I love the team that forms between us and our clients and mm-hmm. working together to benefit their pet. And then you just watch that human animal bond grow even stronger because that, that owner is understanding their pet more and what they're asking for. And, and, and it's just, yeah, it, it's a lot of fun and it's really rewarding. I completely agree. I agree. Empowering these owners to be part of the process is so beautiful. And, and I agree. I think it's just brings more joy into my practice. So, you know, selfishly, yeah. yes, I like doing this. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I could sit here and talk to you. We could do those other 10, 20, 50 episodes right now because I have so many more questions, but we should probably wrap it up for the sake of our listeners here. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. I look forward to doing this again soon. Thanks for having me. It's always my pleasure to be here. All right, everybody, I hope you took away some great options to offer to your more senior patients and some insight into what may be going on with them. I want to say a big thank you to Dr. Sheehan for joining me. Thank you to VetriScience for making this possible. To learn more about VetriScience products, please visit their website at www.vetraproline.com. That's www.vetri.com. P-R-O-L-I-N-E dot com. For more episodes like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. And as a special bonus for this episode, if you enjoyed this talk and would like to earn some additional continuing education, 
Head over to Vetfolio and take the quiz to earn your CE certificate. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this talk as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.